Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. All right, how many saw Apollo 13? Pretty incredible movie, 1995, Tom Hanks, a young Tom Hanks. Uh, How many remember 1970 when all that happened? What a crazy time. It happened on April 11, 1970. Uh, It was Apollo 13. It was the 13th man mission uh, up into space at that time in the Apollo series. It was going to be the third lunar landing. And so the idea was it's going to be a third man mission to the moon. Only they didn't get to land on the moon because you saw what happened there. Everything went wrong. And let me just give you a synopsis real quick. The, they had, had to abort the lunar mission because the oxygen tank exploded. And when it exploded, it messed up the service ma- module, the command, command module. And, and they had to, the whole movie is about them surviving and making it back to Earth. And uh, what happened is they, they had too much oxygen, uh, carbon dioxide coming into the air, and so they had to come up with some kind of system to filter out the carbon dioxide so they could breathe. And if that had continued too long, they would have all died up there in space. And so the idea was you've got to get this square box to fit a round hole. How many times have we ever had to try to get a square peg into a round hole? You ever had that experience in your own life where you're struggling with that? How do you make this work? And of course, that famous line, Houston, we have a problem. And how many times have we said that in our lifetime? Houston, we have a problem. I want to talk about four guys who've got to get someone to Jesus Christ. And they didn't get there and say, Capernaum, we have a problem, but they had a problem. And they had gone through all this trouble to get one man to the Lord Jesus Christ. They had traveled. They were going to go to where he was. They found out where Jesus Christ was. But how do you get a square peg into a round hole? How do you solve that dilemma? But I will tell you, faith will always find a way. Faith will find a way. And so they went up on top of that roof and they tore that thing apart. But they did whatever it took to get their man to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to take your Bibles out and turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word today. Luke chapter 5, and we'll start with verse number 17, and we're going to find out how you get a square peg into a round hole and how you solve a problem. And it can only be done through faith, and how these four men of faith literally brought about the saving of their friend. And so it's Luke chapter 5 and verse number 17. By the way, you guys look awesome today. This is a wonderful crowd at the 830 service. I'm going to have fun at 830. 830 is going to be a bomb every week, and uh, you guys are incredible, and you brave the cold on top of it. Coldest day of the year, and uh, the main floor is full, so you guys did awesome. Uh, Let's read it together. It says, uh, verse number 17, let me find it. Here it is. And one day as they were teaching the Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men 
came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on top of the roof, lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk, but that you might know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them and took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Hallelujah. I believe God wants to do remarkable things today. Amen. I believe the power of God is present in the house to heal the sick. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. You are an awesome, incredible God that blows our minds and our imagination. There is no miracle, no challenge too difficult for you. I thank you, God. We have the privilege of knowing and serving you, the almighty God of the heavens and the earth. And I pray, God, your power to heal be released in the house today. And we ask it in your mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. You may be seated. Word must have got out that uh, that Jesus Christ was in the house because the place is packed. They're in Capernaum. They're in the house. Most people think it was possibly Peter's house that they were all in. The crowds are gathered together. They have come from all over to see this miracle worker, to hear this great teacher. And so they are absolutely packed in there. On tap on that, words got out about his Galilean ministry. So the word of God says there were Pharisees and scribes who had come up from Judea, from Jerusalem, just to go and check this guy out. And so I'm sure they got a front row seat. And I'm sure the Pharisees are there and the scribes are there and they're leaning on every word and they're trying to check out to see if this guy is really legit or not. And someone is suffering and he's outside and I can imagine him trying to get inside of that room and they say, please clear the path. We got a guy right here. We need some extra room. Uh, Let us in. And we've got to get this guy to Jesus Christ. But you know what? The Sadducees, the scribes, the Pharisees says, we've got Jesus here. We've got the best seats in the house. We're not going to move aside for anybody. You know, we got to be careful that we don't think we have a corner on Jesus. That anybody and everybody's welcome to come in. The blind, the lame, the infirm, the hurting, the broken, the, the, the divorced, the, the homosexual, the, those who are messed up, those who are bound, the transgender, uh, the outcast of society, whoever they may be. Listen, if we crowd in so much and say, we've got his ears, there's not room for you. This is our comfortable church. We've missed it, guys. We've missed it. They wouldn't move over for this lame man, and they weren't about to give up their 
seats in the house. And so they did some creative thinking. They probably climbed up an exterior staircase. Now, in their minds, they're thinking, what can we do next? We can get them up here, but there's still going to be a roof there. Now, they have got to have the ingenuity to begin to tear up that roof. The Bible says here that they broke through the tiles in the roof, so we don't know what kind of roof structure it was. Many of the roofs were thatched roof, and they were with mud, and, and they mixed all that together. It dried hard. It was a little slope to it usually, so the rain would run off. But they had, they, the, here it says in the, they, they went through the tile roof. They broke through the tiles. They broke through the ceiling. And can you imagine that crowd looking up and seeing this stuff starting to fall down on their head? It's got to fall somewhere, Right? Jesus is in the middle and stuff starts falling out of the roof and they hear all the noise and he's trying to teach and the noise is there and the roof's falling in and they're trying to get this man down to Jesus and lower him down by ropes. And so somehow they go through a lot of stuff. They find the tools to tear up the roof. They find the ropes. They find whatever they need, but they are going to do what it takes to get this square peg into this round hole to break through the roof to somehow find a solution that this man might be healed. They loved him that much. They, they cared about him that much. They had a whatever-it-takes attitude. Now, a coward uses these words, we cannot. We can't do it. We'll give up. We'll go home. We did our best. I'm sorry, buddy. We tried all we can, and we are done. But uh, words of faith are this, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, we are conscious of the need and determined in faith that the crowd will not keep us away. I will press in to find Jesus. I will press in to know him. In fact, I will tell you, it is difficulties and trials that will cause your faith to grow. So these obstacles and challenges that come our way, they are not there to deter us, but they are there simply to build our faith and strengthen our faith so we won't give up. And you see this arising and happening in these four men. You can only imagine what the whole audience thought as this roof starts to come in and they look up and they see the commotion of what's going on. Jesus, of course, stops his teaching and there's silence and all Probably can't even teach anymore because of all the noise going on. I can imagine the people who were around the room are kind of filled with excitement. What's going to happen next? Something's being torn up. Something different's going on in the house. And what's going to happen next? What is Jesus going to do? The scribes and the Pharisees are probably there with suspicion. What is going on? How can you mess up this service? This is not what we came for. This is not what we counted on. This is not three songs and a poem and a conclusion. What's going on around here? The homeowner, and it's possibly Peter, is counting the cost. Oh, <laughs> how much is that going to cost me to fix that roof? You know, I'd probably be, be right there saying, oh, my. You know, we just had this remodel this house last year, and i got to do the roof all over again. But Jesus is pleased. You know, the Bible says he saw their faith. Saw their faith. Whose faith is he talking about? He's talking about the four that carried the guy. Not the guy on the mat necessarily, but the four that did whatever it take to carry the man. He saw the faith of the four. Faith penetrates any and all obstacles Faith will always find a way. 
These four men in the word of God, they never speak a word. It's interesting, they, they get the guy down there, you know, they're still on the roof. I don't know, know if they ever made it down there. They probably were looking down below uh, and just kind of watching through the top of the roof. They never ever say a word, but their actions speak louder than words. And it was very evident that they had incredible faith. They, they never said a word, but he says, I see their faith. What kind of faith did they see? The faith to cut open a roof, to do whatever it takes to get the man to Jesus Christ. Listen, I will tell you, there are people all around that need to be brought to Jesus Christ. They are lost, they are hurting, they are broken, and they won't get there unless somebody else brings them in. We've got to bring them somehow to Jesus Christ. And these four cared enough about their buddy that they were going to do whatever it takes to get him to the Lord. And so I've got to ask us the question as we're looking at this text today. Do we really care about lost people? We do, just so long as it doesn't inconvenience me. We do, just so long as it doesn't mess up my schedule or my agenda. Yes, I care, just so long as it doesn't mess up my house. Do we really, really care enough? I really do care if it doesn't mess up my time or if it doesn't take an extra effort or if nothing else is required of me. Do we really, really care about lost people? Because I will tell you, soul winning can be messy. You got to get in their lives. You got to get in their stuff. You got to disciple them. You got to love them. You got to help them when they fall down and you got to help them back up. You got to teach them how to pray and teach them how to read the word and you got to get into their lives and you got to you got to get into their messes because their lives are going to really really be messed up. It's messy. There's going to be obstacles in the way. People are going to try to deter you and say there's no more room. There's not room for you here, and you can't do it here, and it won't work there. And, and you're going to hear every excuse in the book. We've got to somehow bring them to Jesus Christ. We can't just put a sign up on our sign out front and say, come all you lucky sinners into church today and find Jesus. We've got to do what God's word says, go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in and find them wherever they're at. And somehow we have got to bring them to Jesus Christ. We've got to find a way. Verse 19 says they could not find a way. But listen to this. There is no way that there is no way when Jesus Christ is the way. Well, let, me, let me say that one more time. It's a great statement. There is no way that there is no way when Jesus is the way. There is always a way with Jesus Christ. It may take some ingenuity, some out-of-the-ordinary ways to break through structures that hinder along the way. It may take some faith and ingenuity and and thinking out of the box and God opening our mind and God, what is your way and what is your plan? How can we reach lost people? Faith Assembly has some unusual ways of reaching lost people. And, and just to share a few of them of what God is doing right now, and it's pretty exciting, and we're going to continue many, all these ministries throughout 2017, but we're figuring out unusual ways to bring people to Jesus Christ. One of them is our paintball ministry. 
And uh, Don Robertson had the burden to start that. And so we've got a field behind our football field. And there's a whole, there's all kinds of barriers out there. And there's booby mines out there that explode paint. And uh, there's, uh, we got a speedball court with the, the curtains that come down. And, uh, and, what, and they shoot each other up. I mean, they just, they just kill each other. And paint's everywhere. But they share the gospel every time they meet, every other Saturday. And they share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They share a scripture. There's a memory verse i like it they call it the resurrection verse so if you memorize your verse and you get killed in battle you can quote that verse and you can get up and fight again (laughs) isn't that cool a resurrection verse listen when i went out there and played with those guys i needed that resurrection verse i'm always the first one to get hit lit up whatever you want to describe we we have uh we have a team that goes into the juvenile detention center every Thursday night, and they are ministering to first defenders, 13 to 19 years of age, right next to Lieber, and they are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they, and invariably, every week in the ladies' wing or in the men's wing, there will be there will be teenagers who will raise their heart hand and give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And our goal is to see them not go through all the broke system of rehabilitation uh, because so many times uh, they get in prison system and it's over and over and over again but we want to share Jesus Christ with them when they're young and get delivered and set free so they won't go back in there again creative ways let's get behind the prison bars this this last year between the five campuses we have we fed five high school football teams every Friday afternoon. Now, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of energy and time. And by the way, if any of you want to be a part of that ministry, we can use both financial donations and physical help in fixing those meals. But listen, I will tell you, uh, we share the gospel with those football players before they go out and get on that football field. uh, And then they begin coming to our youth group and they find the Lord Jesus Christ and they get involved in what God is doing. It's one small way that we can begin to get into our high schools. Our high schools are messed up. that's no news to anybody out there. They are, they are severely damaged. They are messed up by sin. And our high school campuses are a wreck. So how do we get the gospel into a place where we're not typically allowed to go in during their class time? Well, what do we do is we bring the teams to us. We share the good news of Jesus Christ. Our students are mobilized and they go throughout those campuses. We've got to figure out a way to get them to Jesus, whatever it takes. We have a big green Operation Go truck that operates out of our Remount campus. And so they do sidewalk Sunday schools and they drive this big old truck and they open up the back doors of it and they drop out the speakers and they blare it into the neighborhood uh, and they set up their stage on the front and they get out there and we feed the kids and they come from all the poor areas in that part of town and we share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is an exciting ministry we just launched last year. We have two food banks, one at our Remount campus, and we have one at our Monks Corner campus that feeds over 200 families every other week. And we give them meals, and we go around and we pray with people, and we share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we have got to, as a church, get creative and say, God, how do I get the gospel to people who are hurting? How do I find the paralyzed who are out there that on their own can't come to Jesus Christ? but we will get the gospel to them. 
And you need to think about, God, open up my mind. Just like, just like you opened up that roof, open up my mind and show me how can I reach my neighbor? How can I reach that person I work with? What words should I share? What should I do? Because somehow, people, at the end of the day, we have got to get them to Jesus Christ. Now, look at how Jesus responds to their faith. He says something very interesting in verse number 20. Now, listen to me. This, this, he's already done some miracles of healing. He's already touched some folks and healed them. He's already spoke the word and brought healing. So this is why the crowds are growing. They've seen the supernatural. So, so they're fully expecting God to say, get up, buddy, you're healed. I'm here, the healer's here, it's done. But he says something very interesting. He says in verse 20, friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Very surprising words. Now, I will tell you there is a little bit of a theological dilemma that has been going on. And at first glance, it may seem to only reinforce that dilemma because the Jews, in their mind, there were many that still held the belief that all sickness and suffering is a result of sin. So the implication is, when he says your sins be forgiven is, what kind of sins did this do to be paralyzed? pretty hard penalty for sin and so right away in their mind it reinforced may reinforce that idea well that that theological basis that says sickness is a result of sin is yes and no yes sickness and death entered our world because of sin you mark it down adam and eve sinned death was ushered into our world sickness pain suffering heartache all entered our world ultimately because of sin and so they are partially right but your sickness may not be a result of your own personal sin but rather an effect of sin and its effects on humanity you understand what i'm talking about now unless you've abused your body tobacco drugs alcohol sexually transmitted diseases uh, stress, worry, gluttony. Yes, you may be sick because of some of these personal sins you've allowed yourself to indulge in, but as a rule, follow me now, as a rule, we don't get sick because individual sin was involved. My, 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 it's good to see Jeannie here with me this morning. My wife was uh, sick with a cold all week long. She's feeling better today. She's kind of on the latter stages of it. We're happy about that. But she had a cold all week long. And all week I've been trying to figure out what sin did you commit? <laughs> what did you do that you are being judged by God? And I haven't found it. She's done pretty well. We get sick because we live in a falling, sin-filled world. Our bodies wear out. I'm finding more aches and pains. Every day I get, I hear a few amens out there. And we malfunction and we get sick. It happens. But the Jewish leaders thought you were sick and suffering because God was angry with you. And God's mad at you. And you're paralyzed because God doesn't like you and you're being punished. And God's angry. And I will tell you, if you want a good theology on this, 
go back to the book of Job. The book of Job dispels this entire notion. And, and so you, most of the book is three friends trying to find out why Job sinned so bad and why he was in the mess he was in. And ultimately that had nothing to do with that. He was a very, very righteous man. But this man still needed to be forgiven because everybody needs the cleansing grace and cleansing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody needs to be forgiven. This man included. He needed to know Jesus. He needed to have forgiveness of sins. And we all do. And yet he had always believed in his mind, listen to me, that somehow God must be angry with me or I wouldn't be paralyzed. Notice the first word Jesus Christ uses, and I love this, and you just and underline it in your Bibles. He says, friend, friend, your sins be forgiven. I'm not mad with you. You're my friend. I love you. I care about you. And no matter what you may be experiencing or going through, hear him say, friend, I'm angry with you. Put that notion out of your head. Friend, you're not angry. You don't have to be sad. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be depressed. You've come to the right place today. You are forgiven. And I want to tell you something else. I've got great news. God's not angry with you. You're my friend. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Hmm. Pharisees and scribes, look at verse number 21, though. This kind of sets off a firestorm. Verse 21, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves. Now, they're just thinking this. Don't say it out loud. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, listen to me. The Pharisees, for all their religious hypocrisy, they really nailed this one. They're right. Only God can forgive sins. They're not wrong in their assessment. What they don't get is Jesus is God. He's fully God. And he has all power and all authority. And so Jesus Christ reads their mind, does this uh, mind-reading God thing, uh, whatever. You know, he, he reads their minds, and look at his response in verses 22 and 23. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why do you think these things in your heart, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Wow. Now, which is easier, your sins be forgiven or get up and walk? Now, verbally, both are equally easy to say. About four words each. Your sins be forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Whatever. Four words. Or rise up and walk. I mean, verbally, they're both equally easy to say. But they are impossible for any single human being to do. I can't raise anybody up off a mat, and I certainly can't cleanse anybody's sin. Right? We're on the same page here. So the point is, with God, nothing is impossible, and for God, it's just as easy to save a sinner who is his life, his entire life is messed up by sin and set him free as it is to heal a sick body with cancer, a cold, a backache, a headache, uh, any kind of disease there is. With God, there's no challenge and difficulties. But in the Pharisees' mind, they're saying, you know what? One miracle can be verified, one cannot. 
Because when they say your sins be forgiven, that's something that God does internally that cannot be witnessed with the visible eye. And so the Pharisees are saying, boy, it's real easy, Jesus, to talk like that because no one knows what just happened, right? When Jesus said your sins be forgiven, nobody in the room saw anything. The Pharisees think they have him. They say, who do you think you are? This is blasphemy. And listen, you know what? You're just a con. You're a fraud. This is anybody could say that at any time, any time along the way. I could walk up to anybody and say, your sins be forgiven you, and no one would be the wiser. And then he turns to the patient. He says, so that you might know the Son of Man hath power to forgive sins. I say to you, rise and be healed. And the guy gets up, jumps around, leaps around, and bam, everybody's head just explodes. I mean, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal scene. Can you believe this whole scenario and what is going on? Now, now let me share something with you. It is of little use to cure the symptom unless you cure the disease. The taproot of all of our misery is sin. And until it's grabbed by the root, all we do with addressing the physical issues of man or the mental issues of man, all we do is our whacking away at the branches, uh, but the taproot is there and that sin's got to be dealt with. So I will propose to you the most important Healing that can ever take place is spiritual healing when God cleanses the soul. Okay? So Jesus starts there. He deals with the root. Your sins be forgiven you. He needed to be saved. He needed to know Jesus Christ. While we celebrate every effort to make man better physically, morally, and intellectually, the only effectual cure for the world's misery is that we bring them to Jesus Christ uh, and he deals with their sin. Alcoholics Anonymous helped a lot of people get off alcohol. That's a great thing. But until we deal with the heart, no real change that can take place. Doctors, nurses, We can patch up the body. They can put a cast on the broken leg. The leg heals. It's a wonderful thing. But until we deal with the sin, they will die at some point in their life, and if they haven't found Jesus Christ, we'll spend eternity in hell. That's the harsh reality. You know, we get to take a medical clinic in the springtime. We're going to Costa Rica, and we take doctors, and we take nurses, and we take dentists, in the past, we've taken eye doctors. We've taken all kinds of different doctors. And, and when we get to Costa Rica, they're going to go in. They'll land in the capital, uh, San Jose, and then they'll make their way. And they're going to go up in the mountains in the real remote area, in the jungles, in the rainforest near Nicaragua, near the border up there. And we're going to go to these villages and go from village to village and minister to indigenous people of that area. And it's going to be a phenomenal, med- phenomenal medical clinic. And uh, we will see... Over the years, we've been to Africa with medical clinics, uh, Europe, and then all throughout Latin America, taking medical teams and medical clinics. It was neat when we took a dentist to the Philippines, 
And I remember they lined him up. They had 18 chairs in a circle. And he lined them up, and uh, Dr. Dowdy went by, and he began to, he starts out with Novocaine, and he hits all 18 patients because they are lined up. Their teeth are messed up. And they, he shoots Novocaine in every one of their mouth. And then he goes back and starts back at the beginning about the time the Novocaine's setting in, and he's pulling teeth. Ugh! And he goes to the next one. Ugh! And he's pulling those teeth out and just kind of mass dentistry. It's, it's really cool. You, it, that sounds disgusting. You've got to be there to see it. But anyway, it is amazing. And we take medicines in, and so when they leave, they get medicines, they get health care, and all that is taking place. And so we bring, bring uh, relief, medicines, sick get well, and teeth get pulled. But that physical body will perish. So if we take a team and spend thousands of dollars to go in there and minister to that poor country, yes, we've helped. Yes, we've done some humanitarian aid. And yes, that in itself is a good thing. But we also make sure every single patient hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only will we leave with people feeling better, but we will leave with four to 500 brand new converts who have asked Jesus Christ to come into their heart, who are now going to be attached to a church we're building right near the medical clinic, and they get assimilated in the church, and their lives are changed not just for them, not just the temporary pain is gone or the illness is better, but their lives are changed for all eternity. I will tell you, healing is awesome and the physical body is wonderful when it's working right. But I will tell you this, there is nothing like the, the freedom and, of your sins being forgiven and your life changed forever. And no matter what happens here on the earth, I'm going to go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about. Look at the reaction of the crowd, verses 25 and 26. And this is amazing. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and, uh, and went home praising God. Okay, so now the thing that he carries now becomes his testimony. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God and were filled with awe and said, Today we have seen remarkable things. Now, the paralyzed man is two miracles happen here. Two miracles. He's forgiven and he's healed. Forgiven and healed. The bed that carries him, he now carries. That bed that was a sign of his sickness for years now becomes his testimony. He has the power to heal broken bodies and minds, but he has another power, the power to forgive sins. Now, up till now, this is the first time Jesus in his earthly ministry claims any power to forgive sins. And so you've got people who have come together. They want to see the stuff. And they have this vision of God that God is the healer. But now their vision is about to be blown away because he can forgive sins because he is not just a man and he's not just a healer and he's not just a, a teacher. He is absolutely the son of God. And they make a statement. And the Bible says everyone's filled with awe and praise. And in verse 26, we have seen remarkable or strange things today. The word remarkable there or strange, depending on what translation you have in front of you, is the word in the Greek language, paradoxon. Paradoxon. The word para is the prefix in Greek for beyond. Doxon is the word for teaching. It's where we get our word uh, doxology from orthodoxy from doxin has to do with the word teaching and so what they have literally said in the greek language is this is beyond 
our teaching. It's beyond anything we've ever learned. It's beyond anything we have ever studied before. It is beyond all we could ever think or we could dream of or imagine. Listen, I will tell you that Jesus is a God of the beyond. He will literally blow your mind when you get close to the Lord and you come to understand his miracle working power in your own life. It's beyond natural understanding. And that's what it says. It's just, this is remarkable beyond our imagination. Listen, I want to believe that 2017 is going to take us beyond the normal into the supernatural. I want us to come in believing we're going to see a miracle today. God's going to save somebody. God's going to heal somebody. God's going to deliver somebody. There needs to be an anticipation that we're going to go beyond the normal, beyond orthodoxy. Let God cut a hole in the roof of this brain of yours and literally blow your mind. And let's believe together that we serve a great, mighty, miracle-working God. Hallelujah. On this particular day, people would gather to see Jesus in action. But they'd soon discover their vision of Jesus Christ had been too small. Is your vision of God too small? How big is your God? Is he the God of your same old, same old, same old, same old routine? Jesus' ministry of healing was only one dimension of his power. He came not only to heal our bodies, but he came to bring healing to our spiritually dead, diseased, sin-filled spirits. 2017, I want us to see this big, big, powerful God. Hallelujah. Now listen to me. I, I, we've been praying and fasting all week long. You guys have been seeking God this week. And I want to believe that this morning that there is, and, and by the way, Luke's the only, this, this, is stole, this story is told in three of the Gospels, has the story of the paralyzed man being healed. But the only one who uses this phrase, the power of Jesus was there to heal the sick, is Luke. Notice he's also the only physician of the bunch, so it's kind of interesting. He, he, re, he recognizes the healing power of Jesus, and he says the power of Jesus was present in the house to heal the sick. I believe this same power of Jesus is present in the house today to heal the sick. How many will believe that with me? Hallelujah. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith. Now listen to me. I want to make a comment, and then we're going to pray together. The paralyzed man, in verse 25, the Bible says he stood up in front of them all. Now, when you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, we're going to ask you to do something. We're going to ask you to come forward and make a public confession of your faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to ask you to stand up in front of everybody and come down and ask the Lord to come into your life and forgive you and cleanse you and be your Lord and Savior. And you know what? On the surface, it's kind of like, son, your sins be forgiven. No one's really going to notice anything different about you. But things are going to begin to change. You're going to have a testimony. You're going to carry that mat around of your struggles and your sin and your past. And you're going to say, you know what? This is my story. I used to lay on this mat. I used to be paralyzed. I used, my life was messed up. I was a wreck. 
but we're, we're going to watch your life, and we're going to see how you grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to watch you get baptized in water in a few weeks, and we're going to celebrate with you. We're going to watch you take a stand for the Lord down at this altar. We're going to watch your life grow. We're going to journey with you as you learn how to pray and learn how to read God's Word and learn how to, to grow in Christ Jesus, and we're going to see you grow and develop in Him, and the, the people will notice, and they will see a change, and you will have a very, very powerful testimony. And in just about two minutes, we're going to invite you to come down to this altar and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart and life. And there'll be men and women who will pray with you because I'm going to believe in God for two miracles to occur this morning. I'm believing God for people who are lost to find Jesus Christ and be saved. The second miracle can happen also just as easy this morning. Why? Because the power of Jesus is present. And if you're sick in body, we're going to pray for you. We're going to anoint you with oil. We're going to leave this morning. God's going to heal you. And so don't let the crowd keep you from coming. Uh, don't let what people think or say might keep you from coming down here. But you're going to make a way, and you're going to come down to the front. And we're going to anoint you with oil. There will be men and women who will pray with you. They'll gather. Our, we're going to have a line of prayer workers down here. They'll be anointing with oil today. They'll be praying for you. If, you're, if you don't know Jesus, say, I need forgiveness. If you need healing, say, I need healing. And they'll pray with you that way. We got it? Stand with me right now. Everybody standing right now in the house. Today can be your day to find forgiveness or healing. There is power in the house. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.